This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Allbirds is a casual footwear company with a purpose. Started by former professional New Zealand footballer Tim Brown, along with engineer and renewables expert Joey Zwillinger, Allbirds has quickly become a force in the competitive field of footwear. Called the world's most comfortable shoe by Time Magazine, Allbirds products are uniquely made from renewable, sustainably sourced material. Tim and Joey created Allbirds with a purpose, making better things in a better way. Now, joining Sirius XM POTUS host Michael Smirkanish, the co-founders of Allbirds, Tim Brown and Joey Zwillinger. I'm Michael Smirkanish. This is not me on the POTUS program, hosting my own program, but rather a little unusual. This is the first episode of Purpose Built, which moving forward, I will not be a part of, but Joey Zwillinger will host, who joins me now with his cohort, co-founder of Allbirds. That would be Tim Brown. Guys, nice for me to be here interviewing the two of you. That's a privilege. Thanks, thanks, for, for, ha- thanks yeah. for having us. And I think I follow that introduction. <laughs> now, are you confused already? Because it's going to get worse. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, no, no, I've got it. I've got it. So, so. Here's the here's the question. I want to bury the lead. I have one sort of overarching thing I'm eager to ask both of you, and then we can backtrack and tell the whole story of the company. I sleep on a Casper mattress. I shave with a Harry's razor. I'm wearing Allbirds. And the common denominator for all three for me is that I would have thought these were product areas where demand was all taken. Like, what would make you think you could you could start a shoe company and that there was room in the marketplace? Yeah, you know, I th- it, those are great three great examples, and we we certainly fit in with with the answer. I'll, I'll tell you, you, you know, I think the retail is totally changing, and so all the three examples that you gave are industries being mattress, razors, and shoes, where one hundred percent of the business was done in the wholesale channel. So for a razor, you'd go to Walgreens. For shoes, you'd go to Foot Locker or Nordstrom or wherever. And so all those brands built their entire companies around this this margin where you'd make it for ten bucks, you'd sell it for thirty, and the final price was sixty. But the retailer, Walgreens or Nordstrom or whoever, whatever industry mattress firm, those companies took fifty percent of it. And so what what this cohort of companies that you described are doing, and I'd say Allbirds is certainly one of those, is we are taking value that was normally reserved for these retailers. And we're, in our case, we take super fine merino wool that might be in the nicest suit jacket that you own, and we pack it into a $95 shoe that's affordable for most Americans. And even the ones that it's not affordable for, they buy it anyway, which is great. Um, But all that value is packed in. So we in, in exchange for giving away margin to the retailer, we've decided to give it right back to the consumer. And so you're getting a better product for the dollar that you spend in each of those cases. And so we're able to offer just a much better value equation. And that that's one of the things that we, we've sort of unlocked. We, we focus on material innovation, which we'll tell you all about. And we then the result of that innovation, the R and D, is merino wool. It's Tim's wearing a eucalyptus fiber product with a, a sole that's made out of sugar cane that's carbon negative. These are things that took us a long time to do, and they're really freaking expensive. And we are still able to put that into a shoe that's around hundred bucks. And so it's that that value trade off is really important. I think the future of retail is about that trade-off. And it's about shrinking of the wholesale part of the business and increasing that part where you're giving all the value to the consumer. And it's, it's, a, great, it's a great change that's been enabled by technology that's allowed that to happen. Do you think of yourself, before I ask that question, in the same terms as those, those two other uh, products that I referenced? And, and do you regard yourselves as disruptors? You know, entering a marketplace where you'd think demand has all been spoken for, and yet look how well you've done. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. Like, I mean, I, I feel like the, the examples you've raised are, are a couple of brands, and I think it's true true to this narrative of, of a kind of a direct to consumer revolution that's maybe going on. We they're focused on doing one or two things really, really well, deeply, deeply focused on on just a handful of products. And, and we launched in on the first of March, twenty sixteen, with one shoe. We sold one shoe for the first fourteen months. And traditionally, in, in footwear, the, it, it's a range; it changes all the time. Largely driven by wholesale, as Joey touched on, um, but the idea of 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 a singular solution and that focus, I think, is a, is a key part of that direct consumer narrative as well. Is it hard to stay 
solely focused? Are you tempted to say, wow, we can go in a whole host of different directions? Yeah, I mean, I think if, if, if we've had any success, it's, 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 uh, it's because we've said no to 97% of the opportunities uh, that have come across our desk. Um, and we've had the courage to, to just deliver one shoe, which, um, you know, and I, and I think that focus has allowed us to, to, to do things differently. It's allowed us to focus on the customer experience. It's allowed us to focus on feedback and continuous improvement of, of the products that we make and something more akin to software than it is traditional uh, spray and pray footwear manufacturing where you're throwing any number of different styles out uh, three or four times a year hoping that something sticks. Let me go back to where I should have began. Who are you guys? Give me the 60-second version. Joey, you go first. Um, sure. So we're uh, – it's funny. We, we sell shoes, but the way we think about ourselves is actually about solving a much bigger problem. So Tim and I got together under the premise of bringing materials that were incredibly good for the earth and also incredibly good for an experience for, for customers into something that's that's an affordable and, and lovely-looking product. And we focused on shoes to start because that's where a, a giant opportunity is, and it's been overlooked. So we started with merino wool shoes. We've increased that to a number of different materials. And we got a pipeline inside of shoes and outside of shoes now where we're going to bring, we like to call it, better, better, better things to the world and do it in a better way. But who are you personally? Tell me your background. So, yeah, and, and, and this is probably nice. It kind of brings that story together a little bit. I'm one side, Tim's the other, which makes this partnership so so fantastic. Uh, I've been interested in renewable materials and renewable energy broadly, the climate change issue that I think is the problem of our generation for you know, 10 to 15 years. I've been really focused on it. I was investing for a while. Then I, um, I stopped investing because I found it really boring, and I went into a biotech company. And what we did was we engineered microalgae to produce renewable materials that would go into a whole host of different industries. And I found that brands said they cared, but they actually didn't really care. And there was a lot of lip service paid to the idea of sustainability and not a lot of authenticity. So one of the things that crossed my mind is, wow, these brands, they should be responding to what consumers need, but they don't. So that was when I got really interested, instead of running a pretty big chemicals business with renewable chemicals, to take that sounds like... Uh, a, a not so natural shift to from chemical guy and biotech guy to cobbler of shoes, but take that into an industry that needed that material science and needed a different lens on sustainability. And fortunately, my knight in shining armor here came in over the Pacific. Uh, he was actually in London at the time, but from New Zealand originally, and and um, and brought something that was so unique from my background. Uh, that we we saw uh, an amazing idea for a partnership. So I'll let you you share yours. I'm so uh, I'm a New Zealander originally. Uh, I had a uh, I, I first came to the states when I was about 18 on a soccer scholarship, studied design, but had a, a sporting career that went on for about a decade coming out of university and uh, was largely focused on uh, playing professionally in, in in Australia and and being part of a New Zealand team that went to the Soccer World Cup in 2010. You know the the, the idea that would become. Uh, all Birds was born uh, while I was still playing sport, and it was a curiosity project uh, that is, you know, is now a business with 200 plus people uh, based in San Francisco. Joey and I uh, had been friends for a long time. Our wives were roommates in college, and that's how we met and uh, decided to, to build this business together. FIFA World Cup is a part of our living room. <laughs> Can we play you if we're playing FIFA World oh, great Cup? Great question. This is, uh, you know, I think if you've got the, the very old version of the game <laughs> uh, and you probably don't want to be successful, uh, then you probably could, yeah. Look, you're a pair of very bright uh, entrepreneurial guys, one of whom went to Wharton, the other of whom was at the London School of Economics, which I know from taking the double-decker tour that Mick Jagger once went to the London School of Economics because that's what they say when you drive by and they, they point out the bus <laughs> toward it. Totally true, if you can imagine that. Yeah, I, I can't really see him in in those classes. But, <laughs> so yeah. so it, it, it had to have been, Tim, an idea that was hatched based on your experience playing football right that there was there was something else out there for footwear yeah look i mean i um i used to get sponsored by one of the large sportswear brands that um shall not be named and it was uh was one of the thrills of playing um professional sport was getting lots of free gear and uh it really was a pretty simple observation that uh footwear um changed all the time was over designed was over colored it was basically very very hard to find simple it was a problem that was my own no one else's and i literally set out to try and solve it um with all the time uh, 
that professional sports give, gives you to pursue these types of like whimsical journeys. And I found a footwear factory online and I went and visited it in my off season just because I was curious. And I stumbled into an industry that I knew nothing about. Neither Joey and I come from come from that world. And I saw, I saw this. It's a process of manufacturing that hasn't really changed for a hundred years. It's still heavily manual. Uh, but it's it's defaults to making shoes out of not very nice things, largely synthetics, and has what a, what I would kind of term a prevailing low cost mentality. And I started to ask really simple questions. And what I've what I've subsequently found to be my innovation alarm started going off because. I didn't get very good answers like, what is a size nine? And the answer would be, well, it depends, and it's different. And don't ask so many questions, young boy. And, uh, and you know, and really uh, saw an opportunity to innovate with materials, and um, that was really where this journey began, just with the curiosity about a problem that was, that was mine. Fair to say that, that but for the wives, having been college roommates, the two of you would, would never have put this marriage together. No, I mean, we're enormously uh, fortuitous that, that they did. I think they maybe saw something that we didn't. Um, I, I, I would have been fumbling with the idea through business school for a number of years, and, um, you know, there was some early signs that it had potential, um, but it was there was there was nothing like we'd been able to achieve, and, and you know, there's enormous credit goes to, to, to Joey. I, I used to call my old man back in New Zealand and, uh, I'd had this, this very fortunate sporting career that had been full of purpose and it was about playing for my country and all these things that, that were tremendously meaningful. And then I found myself making shoes out of wool and my dad would call me a wool cobbler. <laughs> and uh, I, was trying to, I was trying to make sense of why exactly I was doing, doing that. And, and I think with Joey and one fateful weekend in probably 2015 that we spent together, we realized this is as great as wool is, it wasn't about wool and um, as, a, as enormous of a, a business opportunity, a, a footwear as it wasn't about shoes. This was about uh, an impending revolution in the way things were were, were being made, and a problem um, in the way that um, the environment was being treated in the in, in 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 the fashion industry in particular, and in footwear. And that was an opportunity to create a different type of business that did things differently. And and that was something we could tell our grandkids about. Joey, what was that moment from your standpoint when you're in conversation with Tim and you realize, hey, he's on to something here, and I think I can play a role in getting it to the next level? Yeah, I mean, it, it was um, – <clears throat> I think Tim is one of the – certainly the best intuitive consumer marketer that I've ever come across, just a genuine – knowledge for what is missing and what people actually want, even though brands are putting out something that's maybe different. And so that that weekend that he's talking about, uh, you know, we'd been talking for about a month, two months, and I said, you know what, let's 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 um let's take some time and and chat about this concept and see if it's really big. Cause look, I got two kids. I'm not like super young. If we're gonna do this thing, like I want to make sure that we're both a good partnership and also and also that we have something that is worthwhile spending a huge chunk of our career doing and putting all our resources and network into into this company. So he flew out from London where he was living at the time to my house just north of San Francisco. And and um, and we kind of just had three days set out. My, my whole family was gone. Uh, and so I cooked him a lamb stew, which was, a, which was supposed to be a joke. And he still doesn't think it's funny. Do you think it's funny? This is my first taste of a sense of humor. Yeah. So, <laughs> so lamb lamb stew for wool shoes, and and we spent a weekend with that lamb stew, and and a little bit of bourbon, maybe quite a bit of it. We walked around, and and the moment for me was okay. This guy understands that this this link between. Um, a, an austere, simple design that's devoid of logos that has this anonymous luxury that's focused on comfort, and where I came in to connect that with sustainability and building a supply chain uh, was like a marriage that had so much complementarity and and not a lot of overlap that it stood a shot at really working if we had low enough ego between the two of us. What would make you think that the the austere nature, the 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 non. Uh, it's sort of the antithesis of, of a society that has been one of accumulation, right, uh, of, of ostentation. What would make you think that there would be a market? Was it intuitive or was it data-driven? Well, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think it's, it's, like, it's like the famous sort of uh, Steve Jobs quote uh, at the Stanford graduation of sort of connecting the dots in hindsight. Like at the time, you're kind of following your nose. But I think, it, you know, as we look back, I think there was a couple of quite significant trends that have supported our moment and the product that we've made for it. 
I mean, we tend to sort of term it the casualization of fashion, and I think what that uh, has been underpinned by a, a shift in the way that we work. And maybe our, our parents might have dressed up in a suit and gone to work from nine to five, and all of a sudden now the way we work is completely blurred. There's no work week and weekend anymore. Well, can can you do both? I mean, look, look at me. Look how I'm dressed as I'm wearing all birds. I'm I'm a, I'm a sport coat kind of guy. I, th- I think you absolutely can do both, and that's the the point. You can do it all, and you can do it all the time. And the mobile phone has just completely changed and shifted the way that we we work and play. And I think that same thing had come to apparel more broadly. And I think we've seen comfort comfort um, and informality become almost a. Uh, you know, a, 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 a complete shift in apparel and fashion, and it hadn't come to footwear, and we were timely in that sense. Um, and I don't think that's a trend. I think it's a fundamental shift in the way that we work and play. And I was just at, uh, at a WeWork uh, yesterday. I mean, there's this just this whole thing is shifting, even in terms of office space and the idea of a desk and how you know the, the types of community we build around work. And I think we were we were fortuitous in that moment. You, Tim, were able to get a, a, a two hundred thousand dollar grant from the wool industry. In New Zealand? So I, I came back um, from that first visit to a footwear factory, and I was like, God, this is amazing. And I was, I, I was like, there's such an opportunity here. This is so incredibly old-fashioned. Why, why are, uh, are shoes made only out of synthetics, largely? And you realize it's because of the business model. Um, and then it's also because no one's asked the question why. And, and coming from New Zealand, land of 29 million sheep, I was like, why has wool never been used in shoes? Wouldn't that be interesting? And I, I asked that simple question and fell down a rabbit hole. Uh, they gave a, a, a grant to a, a soccer player who, who knew nothing about shoes, and I think it's probably more a, a reflection on the paucity of innovation in the, in the wool industry in New Zealand than it was about the quality of my grant application. But, uh, you know, New Zealand peak sheep, 1980. There was 80 million sheep in New Zealand, and now there's less than 30, and no one's growing up wanting to be a sheep farmer, but it's got this strong historical association with New Zealand and and really, in some ways, is a miracle fiber that that was it was tailor made for, for for use in footwear, and no one had, had worked out how to do that. A, a smart uh, a smart play on their part, right? To to put their faith in you. I th- I think um, yeah, maybe in hindsight, probably not all that obvious at the time. But I you know I think sometimes those those little moments are are the, are the little nudges you need to go and work it out. And no, but I think that is a good point. I mean, it, it, we're making millions of shoes, and. That's all from New Zealand sheep, and that's doing some great things for the industry, not just from a pure transactional perspective, but also just shining a spotlight on the quality and the environmental sensibility of farmers in, in New Zealand and for the country in general. So I think it's 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 really good. Okay, men. So why not all sheep instead of all birds? So I came back. We, we came up with a name. You've been asked this before. We came back, we came back with a name. Uh, we, Joey and I worked it out, and uh, – and, uh, Joey, I think you, I would speak for you, but uh, had, had been a birder, so it was completely like the, the idea of this this sort of random name that we picked. Liked it. I went back and I told my my wife, I was like, I think we have got the name. It's all birds, and she goes, Well, first of all, I don't like birds, and second of all, this one shoe that you're going to launch is called a wool runner, made from sheep. That's not for running. This none of this makes sense. <laughs> and I was like, That's perfect. I rang Joe. I was like, This is perfect. But here's what, here's the reason why we loved it, though. So. So it's an isolated country. It's like a three and a half hour, beautiful beautiful isolated country, three and a half hours from the coast of New Zealand and so isolated that man didn't settle there till like 1200. And in, in, in that year, they, when the Maori showed up, there was all birds, no mammals. And so we love that idea of like hearkening back to the heritage of the company. And, and we've kind of since come to the, come to the understanding that if you if you take care of the birds, you'll take care of the planet because there's you know canary in the coal mine kind of thing. But if you take care of the ecology where birds live and their flyways are protected, the, the climate's probably going to be okay. So it's it's actually a great bellwether. So there's a lot of things about what we're doing from a mission perspective that that kind of work with that name. So we've we've fallen in love with it. So we we, we wrangled the 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 dot com off a, a, a birder from uh, Minnesota who thought we were going to set up a rival birding community. <laughs> and, um, what did that cost? Uh, not going to say, but in, in hindsight, uh, worth it. Worth it. And uh, <laughs> a lot and at the time, very little now. And so, so we good. we picked the name, and I think there's two of us were working out of Joe's mother-in-law's place in San Rafael, just in the Bay Area in, in San Francisco, and we get about two weeks in, and uh, we picked this name. We're, we're super pumped and. And then someone sends me a note and says, "You, you do realize that in um, yeah, there's a, there's a rap song and in in in, um, in street parlance, all birds means kilos of cocaine." And uh, I was like, "Ring Joey!" And just a big panic. I was like, "We're well, we 
We talk, we talked to our marketing person, she, uh, and and uh, she was like, "That's awesome. Let's roll that." <laughs> so we never look back. So the the name, I you know, I think has become, it's become, a, I I, th- I think a north star for for what we stand for and, and the underlying kind of reason why we we founded it over that lamb stew. Was it the lamb stew or the or the bourbon talking well, when you came up with all birds? Well, it it, it was um, the lamb stew was. I, mean, I haven't told you this, but it was it was average. Ah. It's extremely average, dry. Um, and quite insulting, actually, the whole thing was. Um, but, uh, you know, I, no, no, there, that's true. The, there is a moment, anyone who started a business, Michael, you know, you, you've, it's going to be hard. And it had been hard. I've been doing it by myself, kind of fumbling around with it, like I said. Uh, but I, 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 we unlocked a larger reason, a, a larger reason why. And, you know, you could make fun of that if you want, I think. But it, it, we haven't looked back. It hasn't got easier from that point. But I think we realized that this this stood for something more and we were going to go build something that we were proud of and, and tackle a problem worth solving. And uh, and, we, and we, we just ripped into it. And I don't think we've looked back from that moment. The launch was with just one product. With just one product and four employees plus ourselves and Joey's dog Walt is included in that number, I think. And uh, we launched on the 1st of March 2016. I think we just moved into our first office. Uh, all the investors, we'd had a couple of notable investors had backed us, and they loved the idea of, of one shoe and this focused approach, and, and they loved our purpose. And then about a week before we launched, they're like, hang on a minute, what if people don't like that one shoe? Uh, it's that you're in trouble. And we had the courage of our convictions, and, and we, we launched in the first week. Time magazine called the shoe the most comfortable in the world, and, and we were off to the races. How many colors for that first shoe? We had four, I believe. Four. I think yeah. it was meant to be five, and one went... Didn't work. There's a couple issues of those colors. <laughs> yeah. will, will you speak to the the manufacturing considerations, the who, what, where of of the manufacturer of that that first shoe? One of you? Yeah, I, Joey will. But I just to tee it up, and I think, and this is where I, you know, I, I, I mean, I think Joey just deserves enormous credit. I, I mean, I think there's a couple of things went on. We realized that this needed to be big to have the type of environmental impact that we we wanted to have. So in terms of uh, imagining this at scale and having the courage to back ourselves, we made some really, really important decisions that as humble and as small as we were, uh, that we imagined and had the courage to imagine this at, at scale. And I think that guided a lot of the decisions. You agree with Yeah, that? thanks. Uh, I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, we continue to believe that and align the company that, you know, look, if you take, if you take one of our shoes, the, the tree topper, let's say, and you compare it to the next lowest carbon footprint shoe on the planet, we're probably something like 60% lower in terms of carbon impact on the planet from that from that product. And so that means if, if you're making a decision between buying a tree topper or buying whatever that product is, the next best one, uh, you're doing something really positive for the planet. So the more shoes that we sell, the better we think that the planet's going to be as long as we stay really true to our North Star. Um, and, and to your question about supply chain, though, it's really hard to do it. So there, it's so multifaceted, the decision-making that needs to go in when you're trying to take an objective lens to impact of that production on the planet. And also, it's good. by the way, it can't just be good for the planet. Otherwise, no one would care. It's got to be an amazing product that looks great, and it's got to be super high quality. And then it needs to be the best for the planet. And so we've taken that approach, and the challenges have been all over the place. Where we where we go in manufacture to building a new textile that's never been used in a shoe before, and then having to develop test standards to make sure that it actually will withstand the challenges of footwear being on your feet all day, which is which is non trivial. So we've we've had so many iterations, and one of the benefits of our model of of just selling directly to consumers is that we can listen to what they say. So every day we get. We now get thousands and thousands of inquiries per week from customers saying sometimes there's issues, and we learn from those issues. And no, neither of us are ever going to say we're a perfect company by a long margin. So we 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 take this approach of listening to our customers, and and then we make dozens of changes we, in in the three years that we've had the wool runner. I'm guessing now we're over thirty changes to the wool runner which doesn't look very different from when we started, but there's been 30 upgrades and every month we're putting in what we call running changes into the manufacturing process. And, and those, so, so overcoming those challenges is a labor of love. And, and then I'd love to talk about the, um, the, the making new bottoms for shoes at some point in this, in this chat, but we just R and D real R and D and bring it into an industry that hasn't used those materials before. 
is something that's the biggest challenge for us. Educate me on the very basics of renewables so that we don't take for granted that people have a certain level of knowledge or sophistication on that issue because yeah. I, for one, don't. Yeah, that's an awesome question. Thanks for thanks for teeing that up. So let's use the sugar. Uh, so we have, an, we have a, a bottom unit for our shoe um, that's under your foot. It's a foam material that's made out of sugar cane. So w- what happens with sugar cane is that it – takes carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and with a little bit of water, typically from rainfall and sunlight, it converts the sunlight converts that CO2 and it converts it and captures the CO2 out of the atmosphere and it grows into a sugarcane stock. That sugarcane stock is then processed and you get refined sugar for your table. And then one of the waste streams, we take it and we send it through a number of different processes, including biotech process, including a chemical process. And out of that process pops something that's that's a that's the base the base material that we can then convert into what we call sweet foam, but the bottom unit of the shoe. And in that sweet foam is carbon dioxide that has been sucked out of the atmosphere that was emitted from a tailpipe. So where you, you go to Brazil where we source our source our sugar cane, everyone that's that's driving a car sends stuff out of their tailpipe in the atmosphere and we're quite literally capturing that and putting it into a shoe. And so that that material that we can that we can we can boast that the resin there that the base material is carbon negative, meaning it's actually sucking more carbon out of the atmosphere than it takes to produce it, which is that is that is like for us that's like being close to a tree. A tree sucks carbon dioxide and spits out oxygen. Harken back to your your seventh grade science class, and that's our north star. That's what we want to do with every material. Very noble, but how did you know that sweet foam would also be durable, that it would be comfortable, that it would make for a good shoe? Yeah, so I mean, fortunately, my background being in material science, I've worked with this specific company in Brazil before. I understood the fermentation process that's required to take sugarcane into a chemical and and have some basic knowledge of, of this. And then fortunately, we hired some amazing people and then work with some R&D uh, from some of our suppliers and, and, and outside outside agencies and whatnot to really help us make perfect it. Was it a part of your thinking, Tim, back at the London School of Economics, that you wanted to create a great shoe and that you wanted it only if it could be manufactured in the proper way to be planet-friendly? No, I, I was on a journey to work that out. It was the missing piece for me. And I, and when but I it think, was important to you. Uh, it was imp- Yes. It was, I, I, would, I would sort of say I, I, I had empathy obviously for that subject and that topic with a lack of understanding probably you know in the same in the same way that I you know you, you know people listening probably just learn a little bit from Joe's explanation there uh, so did I and I mean I think when we think about all birds what it stands for it's really three things it's simple design comfort and sustainability and the products that we make are at the intersection of those three things um, and it really follows a you know the the historic arc of, of, of you know from the the first design idea to the to, to the realization that comfort is the number one reason why people buy shoes and that wool is incredibly comfortable you know to Joey and I joining forces and and realizing that uh, sustainability was an enormous problem in the footwear and fashion industries and that we were uniquely positioned to solve it um, so yes it's been really really important I think to to, to why we founded the, founded this. We were talking about Time Magazine saying at the time of your 2016 launch that you had created the world's most comfortable shoe. Was that the epiphany moment, my God, we did it, or was it actually before then? Way later. Really? Even after they said? I'm not quite sure we've even had it. I mean, I, you know, I think part of, the, part of the, the secret here when you're on the road to sort of building something is that there's always 10 things you could be doing better. And, you know, we've, we've had some, some good moments, don't get me wrong, but... I don't think, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think we've sat here and sort of high-fived and sort of said, this is the moment we've made it, because I think there's just such a long way to go. We're not even really 36 months old, and and there's a bunch of stuff we're doing well and a bunch of stuff we we could be doing better. Okay, I, I often interview book authors, and one of my favorite questions is to say, tell me where you were walking down a plane aisle, on a beach, Mm -hmm. somewhere in a public setting that, hey, they are reading my book. Did the two of you each have that kind of a moment ingrained in your mind where you saw these shoes on a stranger's feet? In the first month in March of 16, I can remember I, – I won't, I won't claim to remember the specific person's face. But one of the things that afflicts people who make shoes 
is that you just look down at people's feet all day, every day. It's, just, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's so awful. I do, literally, it's I, a risk I, of your life, too. Yeah, I just yeah. I see people's feet before I see their face now when they walk in the room. So I, I remember seeing um, a couple of of pairs of our wool runners in March in San Francisco. And it was and continues to be, honestly, to this day, unbelievably satisfying. Do you say anything? Um, just, have you just, ever just rub them on the definitely? Head. Yeah, just, exactly. Just I definitely, <laughs> I definitely have. I definitely have, and I always ask for feedback and how people are liking or how they heard about us, just because I love to learn. But I mean, it's 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 an, it's exhilarating to see people wearing your product. It's I, cool. I got a, I got a phone call from from uh, from my mom back in back in New Zealand, and and she was really excited. New Zealand had just elected a new prime minister, Jacinda Ardern. She's thirty seven. You probably know more about her than me, but she's 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 pretty special and doing a good job and. Uh, she met the Australian Prime Minister, and she was wearing wearing all birds. And she she it's a big deal diplomatically when you meet the Australian Prime Minister for a first for the first time. It's Malcolm Turnbull. I, I mm-hmm. think it's been six s- subsequently, but it's a separate story. Uh, and uh, she got, she gave him a pair of shoes, and 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 the kicker was he already had it. He already had a pair. And it, <laughs> it was it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, That's this is one. this is pretty cool. And uh, you know, in in mum and dad's eyes, you know, we've had sort of presidents with them, and Matthew McConaughey, and actresses and, and uh but well, Leonardo DiCaprio Leonardo, is an investor, is he not? Leonardo DiCaprio, all these cool people, but for mum and dad it was like, oh just send it likes them. This is going well. Keep going. So I, I associate your your homeland, your native land with Sauvignon Blanc in a great way, sure. by the way. But perhaps now I'll be thinking about it in And a, the Pinots. The Pinots are good too. Yeah, it's uh and, and sheep too. Uh the sheep jokes are, are, are pretty uh are pretty regular. But uh um yeah, it's you know for me personally to 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 be someone who uh, is 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 very proud of where they come from to be building a business in San Francisco and in the states and to have it so intimately connected to it to where to where I grew up and where I come from has, has been pretty special. Okay, another naive question. Uh, Keep going, you're on a roll, J- Joey. Thank you, <laughs> Joey. Made reference to the the eucalyptus fiber. I know you you launched that in March of 2018. So um, I'm thinking about hemp lately with the, the farm bill having been passed. Is that on the drawing board? Is there something the two of you can do with hemp? Yeah, you know, pro- probably there is. And, and we, we always just look at a material from, well, first we take a really objective lens to it as, uh, is it a low carbon emission crop? And not all of them are. Uh, and, and so we have to kind of segment it out like that. And we got to think about like what the what the skin what the feel against the skin is going to be. You know, a lot of hemp is sometimes, it's, it's a jute fiber, so sometimes it can be a little rough, like a burlap sack. And, and so you don't really want to wear a burlap sack around your, on your skin. So it's a, it's a balance like that. And so with, with merino wool, we were so specific. We picked 17.5 micron merino wool. Like that was the only micron we would accept. And micron measures the diameter of it. So a, a normal human hair is about 80 microns in diameter. And this is 17 and a half. It's about 20%, a little less than that, of, of the width of a hair. And that gives it this unbelievable comfort. And so the, it's the, the experience when you put your fit and ho- put your feet into into you, you're wearing wool loungers. Hopefully, you had that experience when you step it in. It's really different because it's like been, I'm not even wearing a yeah. shoe, right? You've heard that from others. I, I, I get your point about about hemp, but imagine and the two of you obviously have the marketing possibility. Mm-hmm. If you can make something of that product, it would be. Perfect, but you know, you, you, the, the, the larger sort of point under, uh, underlying your question is, is is the topic of sustainability and sustainable materials. And like, do you go do you go and find sustainability and and sell that to the consumer, or do you make great products that are that are sustainable? And it's it's a key question, I think, in the in 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 the fashion and, and footwear industries, and more generally in consumer products, solving the, the 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 challenge of making things that are more environmentally friendly. Because we, you know, we had a moment pretty early on. We met with. Uh, a really super smart guy called Eric Ryan, who's the founder of Method Cleaning Products. And uh, we were early on, we just had the lamb stew and we'd found our purpose and, you know, uh, we would, we, our vision for what we wanted to create. We sat down and we sort of said, we want to find better ways to, to make shoes. And he's like, great. The only reason that this is an opportunity is because the rest of the industry is way, way behind where they should be. Don't pat yourself on the back. What you're talking about is an, is really a non-negotiable and is table stakes for anyone who's doing anything in business today. So don't talk about it. Get on and do it, which was a bit of a light bulb moment for us. And then the second point he made is, and this is really, it's actually interesting, is when people hear sustainability, often they don't know what it means. And then they assume that when it's associated with a good, 
it's somehow more expensive and and less and and and, and, and less and less good. So it's it's really interesting in terms of sort of that subject area and 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 the role that purpose plays in the way that we present our products to the world. Yeah, and, gi- and given legalization, I would say that people have already enjoyed the flowers from the hemp plant while wearing our shoes. So maybe that's a start. <laughs> <laughs> in April of 2017, you launched the first modular concept store. Talk to me about that decision and where you're going. Yeah. So uh, maybe I'll take a stab at that. We've always believed that a physical retail experience in a store is always going to be better than an e-commerce experience from how you interact with the brand. And the reason it's it's a, such an interesting thing to think about because e-commerce is what everyone wants now. But e-commerce is great because it's super convenient. If you know what you want, it comes to your house three days later, and we deliver that service in a fantastic way. Free returns, you know, you name it, we offer it. We're very service-oriented. But that said, because Amazon and, and other e-commerce platforms have come around where it's very convenient to get the product and you know whether you're getting the right, the best price or not, that part's taken care of. But that beauty of discovery of a new product and talking to a sales associate that's really educated that can speak just as eloquently on the product as hopefully we, we, w- we would do so, um, being the inventors of it, and, and designing furniture to make a try-on experience great, doing every little detail of a store and bringing that to the customer experience is hard to rival. So we've always believed that experience. Not only would it be a better experience for customers, but when people are walking by the stores, it also helps our brand and lifts our e-commerce sales. So we just thought this thing was – this was the way retail should be done. It should be experiential. It should be fit for purpose, so meaning that that we're a shoe – currently we're just selling shoes. And and so – it had better be designed to sell shoes and have an experience buying a shoe that's great, and and it should really help our brand overall. So that's that's what we um, that's what we embarked upon. So we took this this modular concept, we learned from it three times, and now we have a design that we think um, we really love and we think it gives a great experience. So we have three stores under that design in San Francisco, New York, and London, and we're we're going to open a lot of stores um, for for the next few years all over the world. Yeah, was Steve Jobs an inspiration? relative to Apple stores in terms of how you went about this? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, when I, when I think about the discipline around that product and the experience, um, you know, I, I, I definitely think there is, there is some inspiration there. And we've tried to make the materials are the hero in, 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 our, in our business. We're, you know, we sort of see ourselves as the conduit to take these things to, to market and, and, and products. So it's about telling that story and it's about educating people and it's about getting out of the way. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of thought goes into something that's quite quite simple and, and what you realize, and I think Apple's the shiny example of this, is, is, is making something simple is very, very hard. There's a lot of out-of-the-box thinking that went into the Allbirds' success, and, and here's a part of it that I, I hope you'll speak to. You have open-sourced the technology to other footwear manufacturers. What does that mean, first of all? Yeah, so uh, w- one of the things we did when we, when we developed this, um, this foam made out of sugar cane, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an interesting situation because you know, we're, we're kind of a fly on the back of an elephant. We, we, we announced last year in 2018 we sold a million shoes, which is, is incredible. But when you put it in perspective of the industry – in the U.S. alone, there's two and a half billion shoes sold every year, and in and it, it, globally, it's twenty billion per year. So, I mean, we're we're barely a drop in the bucket. So, what when when you interact uh, with uh, a new material that is carbon negative, there's two things that we wanted to focus on. One is an altruistic purpose where. If it doesn't get into every, it's it's the largest. This foam is the largest used component in the entire sneaker industry. So if we get it in every sneaker, the planet is going to be in great shape relative to what it was before. So we thought altruistically, this is the right thing to do. Pragmatically, if more people are using this stuff, the cost is going to be cheaper to us. So and that's the, that's the intersection where we believe in quite strongly. Where business doesn't have to shy away from making money. We can make money, and we can do great business while also doing something great. 
And that's why we, we, we feel like our mission is very aligned with scale and success in business. So open sourcing this has pragmatic value for our business to be more successful. And it's also good for the world. And that's, that's, that's where we think um, that little intersection, it's hard to find, but it's, it's, it's where success is. Is there lives. continual conflict between the goal of being altruistic and wanting to be a capitalist? You know, on the margin, day to day, we make decisions with that tension in mind. Um, but writ large, I don't think so. And I think that's a paradigm that that we we exist because that paradigm is wrong. The reason why we have so many opportunities to unearth new materials and make great products is because that is that is just an incorrect premise. You can do great and you can also make great products, which hence you will make more money. So writ large – Absolutely not. On the day-to-day basis, you know, look, we, we took um, – we, we had a shoelace that we liked, but we couldn't get it at a low-carbon footprint. And finally, we worked out how to do it out of recycled plastic bottles, and it cost three times as much. And we had a little team meeting quickly. It took five minutes. We were like, hell yeah, let's do it. Uh, our manufacturer was like, are you crazy? Like, they'd never seen decision-making like that before. We had a lot of reasons to do to, to make that decision. but um, So on the day-to-day, we balance those tensions all the time. Um, but writ large, we think that's where the opportunity is. Let me cover a couple of the basics that I've, I've not yet addressed. First of all, manufacture in Italy, right? For the wool is in Italy. And then we make the shoes in Korea. In Korea. Uh, they are unisex. Yes. They can be worn with or without socks. I'm a. I'm usually a no sock person. What do you, What do you got going on right now? No uh, socks. Yeah, no socks. Tim, socks. Socks. It's a good. It's a good partnership. Uh, <laughs> let me ask the footballer, for working out. Uh, not designed for that, um, but it can go there. But not. It's not the 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 use case. It's sort of for casual everyday wear. Do you have it in mind that you would produce something that would be sporting specific, for lack of a better way to describe it? Not telling. Okay, that means yes. Machine machine washable. Correct. Uh, that'll sound strange to people. What do you mean? You put your shoes in the in the washer? It is a little weird. It's a hurdle we got to get over, and it requires some extra education. But it's it's pretty cool because it extends the life of the product, and you might not like a stain on it, but it'll come out really well. So, works. and that's because of the wool. Yeah. How many styles? You've explained already that you launched with one and four colors to it. How many styles today? And how many colors do they come in? Give, give me the, the sort of the, the big picture of the product line. Oh, I, th- I think there might be five styles now. Um, the colors kind of uh, uh, come and go. Um, they tend to sort of change uh, fairly often and, and run in limited runs. Um, so it's still pretty pretty focused, really, relatively. Is the intention to, to keep a lid on the number of different products that you're putting out? Yeah, I mean, I think it allows us uh, to, to focus. It allows us to improve. It allows us to find better materials and flow that into the product line in a much in a much easier way, um, and it allows us to to track the the uh, the life cycle of of our products and understand our supply chain deeply. And if that if that proliferates too much, you lose that competitive advantage. I think that for the Allbirds that I'm wearing, I paid ninety five dollars. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Is that the price point for for all that that are in the line? We have one style. It's one hundred and fifteen, but the other four are ninety five bucks. Uh, I, I bought them online. I wanted to experience, you know, what it was like. I've got an Instagram where with one hand I'm filming and the other I'm trying to open the box. It looks a little <laughs> awkward, but in the end I got it done. Very, very – I'll tell you what, what I hate more than anything else. Peanuts for packing purposes. Mm, totally. Because inevitably they explode all over my driveway and I'm running around trying to gather – I hate them. If I get something in the mail and they've got peanuts in it, I'm pissed. No peanuts. In all birds, and one box, like you know, t- traditionally shoes um, will come with a box inside a box, and we tried to just uh, create one that would work across retail and e-commerce, and you know, just a bunch of bunch of simple things that go into just thinking through that experience. So, what is in the pipeline? Um, you know, we're not going to give specifics on on what the products we're going to come out with, but here's what here's what I'll say about that. Um, it'll be, we'll do more shoes and we're going to do things that are not shoes and we will maintain our focus on what Tim said earlier, which is really a focus on comfort as the attribute. It's going to be derived from really interesting and novel materials. And so what's hard for us is we have to develop this pipeline of new materials that happen to be very sustainable 
and then products come out of that that are natural. They they just they naturally fall out of that because we've developed these materials with comfort in mind, and then all of a sudden the the products become clear. And so uh, and obviously there's there's a there's a uh, two way street on that. We have a vision for where we want the product line to go and what our customer is doing with our product and what we're not solving a problem for quite yet. So it's a two-way street. But um, so, yeah, so some, uh, some of the answer is we don't quite know yet. And we're, we're working on the hard, the hard side part of the work right now, which is the materials. It, but it, it sounds to me like first up might be in the non-shoe realm, something that's shoe-related, or am I reading too much into it? Um, you're probably reading too much into that, but it'll probably touch your skin. The uh, what's been really interesting and 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 pretty revealing is I, is I feel like you have, you know, a, a, a consumer base that's a, that's a awakening to uh, the the issue of sustainability and craving solutions. They're craving guidance and 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 wanting answers. So I, I mean I think it's a really really interesting interesting moment. And, and what we've seen on the on the supply side is that our manufacturers oftentimes these materials have been around for a long time. We're we're not truly inventing them although we're innovating off the back of them and and what we're seeing is um you know people are coming to us now offering all sorts of different things because they realize that we're we're committed to doing this the right way so it's it's pretty encouraging it feels like we're in a we're in a moment i want to spend our remaining time for the inaugural version of purpose built talking about entrepreneurship on the street where i was raised i was the one who would shovel your drive I was the one who would sell you a Christmas card that I'd created in my basement. I was the one always knocking on the door and looking for some angle that, that I could earn money. Were the two of you like that? I mean, you're the ones who have now created this $1.45 billion business in, in short order. Would we have known that about you if we had seen you in your youth? I, I, I wasn't. Yeah, I think I think um, I think certainly I can tell that you're – just as scrappy as what was just described as Michael did as a kid. Um, and I think I would call myself really, really scrappy as well. <laughs> but it didn't manifest itself in business. Mm. I, I never knew anything about business when I was a kid. I didn't know anything about business until I was in business when I was 23 for the first time. Literally, I didn't know anything. Um, I had two you know, hippie psychologist parents that were professors in San Francisco State, like, leading free speech movement rallies. And so <laughs> business was not a vernacular that I had in when I was growing up. So I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, there, there was no lemonade stand, but there was probably... Uh, there was probably, I had that too. There was, pro- <laughs> there, was, there was probably the qualities that I think have, have helped us, you know, get get here to, 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 to start to build this thing that we're, we're building. And it's part scrappiness, and I think it's part competitiveness as well. And I think I certainly take that from, from my sporting experience and... You know the number of experts we've sat down with, who've said uh, that this was a very, very bad idea. Uh, I mean, you've only you've you've got to have something in you that wants to go kind of prove people yeah. wrong to, well, to, to, I, to kind of get through that. You know? I wanted to ask that question because the way the way perhaps due to my questioning, this doesn't sound so far like the entrepreneurial story that's littered with disappointment. So there was an, an you, awful. Well, I mean, we kind of skipped through sort of right two thousand and nine to two thousand and fourteen, uh, and you know a bunch of just getting this wrong. And the number of, I mean, I even remember in 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 London, sort of sitting down at um, dinner with uh, you know with with friends, many of whom were in their early thirties at the sort of like this this growth period of their career, flying, and I just retired from sport. And it'd go around the table and I'd shrink because I knew someone was going to ask me what I was working on. And I'd say wool shoes and a tiny wee little voice. And they'd pat me on the head as I left the, left the room. <laughs> and I, I just, I, you couldn't work out how to make this work. And, you know, fast forward and we, we got there. But, I mean, there was a, any number of people that, that sort of um, told us that this couldn't be done. Speak to aspiring entrepreneurial disruptors. What's the message you want them to hear? I, you know, I, I think um, probably first of all, you, you're, uh, you're just generally in life, if you don't seek feedback uh, and ways to get better and expert advice um, and ways to improve and you're not curious about the things you could be doing better, um, then you're really dumb. Equally, if you listen to all the experts and you take too much of that on board uh, and you don't have the courage to kind of go do what you want to do just because you want to do it, uh, then uh, that's probably not good either. So I think it's finding a way to kind of navigate through 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 that is, is certainly sort of... Maybe I'd just add, that, and this is from hindsight, you know, having a 
having something that you authentically believe in be the underpinning for your business is I would never do a business again if it wasn't something I really was passionate about because the day-to-day can get quite boring if you don't have a, a bigger picture that you're shooting at. Or well, when it gets hard, you'll, you'll stop. Yeah, because you, you, you know, you you got you got to be driving and, and understanding that this thing stands, stands for something more than just selling a pair of shoes. Joey, talk to me about Purpose Built. What do you have planned? What are you going to do? How will you structure the program? Who will be the guests? Yeah, it's, uh, so it's interesting. The premise of it uh, and, and the idea why, why I was so interested in and taking it on, this is way outside my comfort zone to be a host of a radio show. So I'm excited to try it, first of all. But you know, I just read a, I read a quote from Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock. And he's the largest money manager in the world. They manage about $6 trillion of money. And he wrote, writes a letter every year to CEOs in his portfolio, uh, which is basically every public company in the world and lots of privates. And he said, to paraphrase, that that government is not providing the long-term stability and other long-term institutions aren't providing the long-term stability that people have come to expect from them. And so people are starting to look to business and the private sector to actually step up and play a role where they're not just focused on their fiduciary responsibility to shareholders, but also to something with a um, with something that's better for society. So Purpose Built, the title is born out of the idea that you can have a thriving business. In fact, it's table stakes now if you're starting a business that you should have a thriving business that also has a purpose to it that is better for society. And so I, I, what I thought would be interesting for people is to get a lot of examples and talk with entrepreneurs and business leaders who have d- taken that approach and have been successful or are on the path to being successful because I think that's, that's, uh, that's something that people can aspire to do good and do really well by themselves financially. We're going to be in a much better place, and and it's not just business. Policy's got to come up and play a very critical role, of course. Um, but I think it, if business steps up, policy can sometimes follow that. And I'm I'm excited to to um, to have some business leaders and diverse different in, number of industries. Dream and guest, dream guest, um, dream guest. I'd say uh, some of the some of the brands in California have been really interested. in one is um, Reformation. It's in fashion. I think we've got a. I've got a. I'd love to talk with the Whole Foods people uh, and and talk about being purpose driven when it wasn't cool. I, I had a. I had a political mentor who I'll never forget when I was in school telling me uh, that you need to do well in life and then go out and do some good. The two of you have proven that you can do both at the same time. Well, it's probably just about the biggest compliment you could pay. So I appreciate that. Yeah, we're we're just starting, but that that is. If we can, if we can truly prove that, that's that's powerful for people starting up. Do you feel like you're cheating if you're wearing shoes that aren't Allbirds? That's the thing they don't tell you about starting a shoe company is you have to wear them every single day, so they better be good. Because <laughs> if anyone if anyone catches you not wearing the shoes, they, they assume you've lost faith in your business. So. Hey, uh, good luck with the company. Not that you need it, and and good luck with with the new radio program. It's been a real pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you very much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.